You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi everyone, I am Martina Cunha and you are listening to Backstage Talk. Hello and welcome back to a new episode today. I am really excited about this episode. Um, our guest today is Michael Kushner. He is he defines himself as a multi-hyphenate. We're going to talk about that later. Um, but he is one of the most talented people I have found and followed on social media since basically probably three or four years ago. Uh, so, Michael, thank you for being here. Welcome to the show. I'm so honored that you're that you asked me to do this, and I'm so touched that of your words. That's a, thank you so much. I am going to let you introduce yourself a bit. So tell us who are you and all the bunch you do. Yeah. So thank you for saying that I am a multi-hyphenate, a self-proclaimed multi-hyphenate. Uh, I am, my hyphens are actor, photographer, producer, writer, podcaster. And, uh, you know, I've been in the industry this year marks 21 years that I've been in the industry. And so I grew up in it and it's my love language. It's how I connect with people. It's how I communicate. So, you know, I've, I've been performing for 21 years and I've kind of over, you know, the last half of my life figured out that performing is certainly not the only thing that I want to do. I want to tell stories in other ways and other mediums. And some of the stories that I want to tell, I can't tell as a performer, but I could tell as a photographer, I could tell as a, uh, as a producer, I could tell as a podcaster, as a writer. So I've really started to, um, hone those proficiencies and, uh, you and be able to sell them as part of my artistic identity. And I've been doing that in the Broadway community since I graduated college in 2013. I went to Ithaca for musical theater and it's been a journey since it's been a quite, it's been quite the journey ever since. So how did you, your Broadway journey start? Because I, yeah. I, I know I read, I, I think it was in the first episode of your podcast that you say that you were, you, you started really young on Broadway. Yeah. So that's the thing is I wasn't a Broadway actor when I was a kid. I grew up in Fort Lauderdale in, in Florida and there's an incredible regional theater scene. There is a, uh, a lot, there's a lot of theaters, a lot of equity theaters, a lot of non-equity theaters for those of you that are listening and don't know what that is, but equity is the union and non-equity is out of the union. So, um, there were a million, th so it was easier, it was easy to work on a professional level, not have to worry about union stuff as a kid, because like, you know, there were so many theaters around, but, um, I started working at equity houses and, you know, Rachel Bay Jones from Dear Evan Hansen played my aunt in a show when I was 15 and, Um, I was in, you know, callbacks for 13, the original production of 13 on Broadway and was flown up to New York for that. And, you know, I, so I started performing and permeating myself in the professional industry from when I was about 12 or 13 years old. And I was doing eight shows a week, like, a you know, like all my adult counterparts in the shows. And, you know, what was really important for my parents was that I was a kid So I actually had asked a few times if I could move up to New York, live with my grandma in New York and go to school, go to PPAS, which is Performing Arts High School here in the city, because all my friends from camp did that. I went to Frenchwoods and 
um, which is a performing arts sleepaway camp. And I wanted to do that, but my parents were like, no, you, um, we, we want you to go to stay in high school, stay here and be a kid. I actually booked a national tour when I was about 14, 13, 14 years old. And my parents said no, because they were like, we want, you just got, um, a scholarship to a performing arts school. We want you to go and be a kid. And it was the best thing they ever did for me because I had life experience. And I don't know if a national tour, I don't know if that's the best experience for a kid. I mean, it's definitely an experience that will shape someone, but I'm so glad that I went to high school and I, you know, cheated on tests and fell in love and came out of the closet and was stupid and got my driver's license. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's really important. You got, and a, that quote, was, you got a quote unquote normal childhood. Yeah. As normal as it could be. <laughs> and, um, and I really took with that and ran with it. And even though I look back in pictures, I'm like, Oh my God, look at that phase. As embarrassing as that is, I'm still also like so grateful that I had that, uh, because it informs the work that I do. Having a real life experience informs the work that I do now as a, as an artist. So And where is it going now? Because you're doing a lot of stuff. So where is your Broadway journey headed? Yeah, that's actually really interesting that you say that. Look, I think more than ever, Broadway is a mindset right now. You know, we, there's no shows happening. Nothing's happening, but everything is happening. I think a lot of people, there's a lot of fight or flight happening right now. There's um, people that have left the industry. They're gone. They're done. They're having kids. Even, you know, this pandemic, this quarantine is long enough where people have popped out kids during this and they were in the middle of a Broadway run and others that haven't been able to be on Broadway yet or haven't been able to permeate the industry just yet have really taken the time and figured out how to do it. So there's been this sort of shift in my Broadway journey right now is that like, I have been living the life, this multi-hyphenate life for quite some time now, where all of a sudden people, people have frowned upon it. We're like, how are you doing that? Now they're the ones that are asking me how I'm doing, like really asking me how I'm doing it because that's helped me survive in this industry. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my future, that's really interesting what's happening next. It's like, I have a bunch of projects lined up. And, you know, one I'm filming in May, it's a, it's gonna, it's a film, which is gonna, it's an indie film, which is very exciting. Um, that's go ready to go May, um, with Alice Ripley. Um, yeah, she's starring in it and it's called the pink unicorn. And, uh, she did it a few times off Broadway and we're turning it into a film. And, um, you know, there's another thing that I can't talk about just yet, And, you know, things that have been really helping me are my podcasts because Mm -hmm. I have one podcast that's very industry based and I help people sort of figure out who they are as a multi-evident. And then the other one I host with my boyfriend who's a very, and it's a very um, comedy based, Broadway based podcast called My Broadway Memory, which keeps Broadway alive. So there's a lot, and, and my photography studio is open. So, you know, I have a client in the industry every single day. So the conversations happen. I'm pretty much back to normal life and I have been for quite some time. I've been very lucky. 
but it's just been weird because there's a pandemic happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, like a client comes in my studio every single day, which is exactly how it was before the pandemic. So, you know, there's, except the one thing is, is that there are no shows to see. I'm not shooting backstage anymore. I can't, I, I and I'm anticipating, I'm not going to be able to for a while, even when Broadway comes back. I don't know how lenient they're going to be with having people that aren't in the shows and on the crew backstage. So, you know, there's still a lot of unknown, but, you know, you can think about it. You could have those thoughts in the shower and be like, oh, what is that going to be like? <laughs> Whatever. And then, you know, kind of clock it and figure it out. But like, you just got to take it day by day. Yeah. I want to go back to some one thing you just said. And you said that Broadway is a mindset. It's not yeah. a man. Uh, could, you, could you dive deeper on that thought? Yeah. Broadway is a mindset because... There's a few things that can justify this. Like, yeah, Broadway is an industry. It is a uh, commercial entity. Um, it is racist. Um, and there's a lot of work to be done. But Broadway also is the first community to respond to a tragedy. It's the first community to heal the actual art form of theater heals and challenges and uh, shifts and brings levity and makes you, you know, brings answers and questions. That's what the theater does. And Broadway is becoming more of a community than ever, especially with this outreach during this pandemic with Zoom classes and talks and backstage passes, like meet Donna Murphy, meet, you know, Leslie Autumn Jr., meet, you know, Adina, like these, these people are like all of a sudden on Zoom and TikTok and, you know, and back and uh, what's the audio one? Clubhouse. Um, Clubhouse. You know, all of these different things. And so the idea of Broadway overall is shifting as a whole because the racism is being called out because... Um, Inequity is being called out. Of course, of course. So now there are a lot of people that felt uh, uh, pushed away on the sidelines, marginalized. Now they're feeling more and more that their stories can be told, that that they're helping shift Broadway. So I think that community is is broadening and the mindset is broadening. And also, like, just because you're not performing on Broadway right now doesn't mean that you're not a part of the community. Like, we're all on the same... Underneath a mask, we are all on the same level, you know? Uh, no one's working right now. And contracts are almost... It's almost a year up for some shows. And, like, producers have the power to literally say, thank you so much, but your year-long contract is up and we don't need to hire you back so we're all sort of under the same you know uh same rules of the pandemic like we're all figuring it out together and i think more than ever community is needed and that's why broadway is more of a mindset than ever i love that i absolutely love that i want to shift now to michael the multi-hyphen yeah this this is i mean when i when i first listened to to the episode of your podcast of dear multi-hyphenate i remember i was walking to my best friend's house And this was two months ago, a month and a half ago. Uh, and I was I, I was walking and listening to the to the episode and was starstruck because it was like this is a concept that I, I may fit into. Because we, we yeah. as as artists, we all do little bunches of stuff and different things and we're yeah. good at them, but we sometimes do not like to be like determined by one of them. Right. So I how, how did he come up with Well, first, what is a multi-hyphenate? Um, yeah. And two, how did he come up with this term? 
and, and started using. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Martin. That's great. Um, a multi-hyphenate is an artist who has multiple proficiencies that cross-pollinate to help flourish professional capabilities. And in layman's terms, that means I do a lot of shit. And, but they they all help each other exist. So like my income for my photography helps me produce projects that I am passionate about and I can write about and then I can, you know, my experiences I can write about and then I can podcast about and those guests I have on my podcast I can ask to be in my projects and they wind up in my studio and, you know, it all helps each other. And that's what a multi-hyphenate is to me. A multi-hyphenate to me is not someone who is like, I am a roller skater, an actor, and a interior designer. I'm like, well, that's great. You have different skills. You have different proficiencies. But how do they help each other? I think that once you figure out how they help each other, that's when you really become a multi-hyphenate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think other than that, those are all separate entities. And that's okay, but I'm worried that, okay, before I get into this, I will say when I discovered that I'm a multi-hyphenate, the multi-hyphenate journey was spurred by two women of color who I love. Elena Maria Garcia, who is my high school acting teacher, and Cynthia Anderson, who is my uh, freshman year professor, acting professor at Ithaca. And with um, Garcia, she is a Carbonell winning actress, uh, professor, writer, director, producer. And she is incredible. She's unbelievable. And Elena was my teacher and my final of sophomore year. She had us write our own one person shows. And what we not only did we have to memorize them and perform in them and, you know, write them. And then they were, it was in like a, like an evening, you know, like a show. Not only did we do that, but we had to tech and design and direct and stage manage our classmates shows. So we learned all of the different proficiencies on how to, you know, put on a show. And I loved that mindset. It was always, you know, I'd get a text from her in the morning. I'd be out getting ready for school, be like, Kushner, bring your camera. I have a sketch I want to film. You know, so it was integrated and I would stay, I would, you know, cause we were in her room at lunch anyway, cause we didn't want to sit with anyone else at lunch. We would go sneak in her room and, you know, she'd, you know, scream at us, get out. What are you doing? And we'd just be like, having lunch you know, with you, honey. <laughs> we're having lunch here, honey. And it was like 20 of us and we would blast music and dance and eat our lunch and like take naps and not go to next class and hide behind the curtain and sleep there. And it was like the best. And, um, and so, uh, oh my God, I can't, like what a time. And so, you know, she really, she really infiltrated this mindset of you have a can and a stick and you can make theater. And that's what she did. I mean, she turned, she produced equity shows in our drama room. She turned it into a, it was a classroom and she designed it to make a black box theater, studio black box theater. So then all of a sudden the school then had three theaters instead of two. And she produced an equity production of of Top Dog under dog no judas iscariot and the last days of judas iscariot for for 60 seats in that theater and it was an equity production and she did it she produced it and directed it hired local equity actors and did this incredible production and it was in our classroom and i thought that was so damn cool and i and i remember just being like oh my god i want to do this not only do i want to be in stuff stuff but i want to produce that stuff and i want to write that stuff like there are no rules and she is living that experience so then I went to college 
And my professor, you know, it wasn't, I loved Ithaca, but if a lot of my professors, if they had the sort of glimmer that you would want to do something else, they would be like, maybe you should explore that. Maybe you shouldn't be an actor. Maybe you should. Mm -hmm. And it was so annoying, you know, and hazardous. And, but I had one professor, Cynthia Henderson, who genuinely did so many different things. She focused on, she focuses on performing arts for social change. She has a few books out. Um, and she is not only a director and a performer, but she also writes. So like, she also is a multi-avenue, but now in this different part of my life. And we still work together to this day. Elena, Cynthia, and I, not all together, but I still work with them to this day because they're still going in this pandemic they are still working and not many other people are they're still garnering an income and it's incredible and um and so you know i'm a little worried so what i was saying before about the multi-hyphenate is i'm a little worried about people and identifying as a multi-hyphenate because there's a word that actors love to use and it's quirky Actors love saying that they're quirky and chances are, and I love my clients and I support my clients no matter what, but chances are if you were coming in for your headshot sessions and I go, how would you describe yourself? Nine times out of 10, an actor will say, I'm just like a quirky blah, blah, blah. And it annoys the hell out of me because I'm like, that doesn't mean anything anymore. If everyone is, and I'm a little worried that the word multi-hyphenate is going to be the same thing because people don't actually understand what it means. They see it on pot. They see it on podcasts. They see it in an interview. They see the word popping up now, but I don't know if they actually dive into what that means. And I can't, and people still think like people still think that when I'm talking about multi-hyphenating, I'm talking about multitasking and I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about editing a project while answering an email and doing my laundry. That's multitasking. What I'm talking about is, is harboring multiple proficiencies that you know, one part of my day is designated to, and then I close that section and then I move on to my next part of the project, which is, you know, that first part is producing. The second part is photography. Like that is multi-hyphenating. It's not multitasking. And I'm just worried that people are going to be like, yeah, I'm a multi-hyphenate. And like, are you? (laughs) Because not, not all the proficiencies go to the same end. Right. And also like, You know, I think that there are some qualifiers to be a multi-hyphenate just to like, because I don't like it's, it's, it's very easy to be lazy. It's very easy to go, you know, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a quirky multi-hyphenate and not have to explain it. You could just say it, but to be a multi-hyphenate, I think that the proficiencies that you bring on, you have to get paid for and you have to do it on a professional level. You can't just do it as like, um, you can't just say like, it's a hobby. Like if you were. Like, if you're going to be a producer and you haven't produced anything yet, don't say that you're a producer as a multi-hyphenate. I mean, like, you could be like, you know, I'm interested in producing. I'm a budding producer. I'm working on this one project, but it hasn't happened yet. Like, that's cool. But if you're taking a meeting with other producers and you're like, yeah, I'm a producer. And then they're like, what have you produced? And you're like, nothing. (laughs) That doesn't look too good. Yeah. So... You know, it's like we have to, and also being multi-hyphenate is really hard because that means you have, for every proficiency you have, you have to be very sure about why you do it. So I know very specifically why I perform. I know very specifically why I photograph and produce. And and I know very specifically why. But there are people that don't even know why they're doing And that's, and there's no shade with that. 
like I'm not saying like oh you 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 know that's it that's a big issue like you shouldn't be do you shouldn't be no I'm just saying before you consider yourself a multi hyphenate figure out why you're doing what you're doing I think that everyone as an actor whatever even if you're not a multi hyphenate you just are one proficiency which is good and great you still need to know why so that's the, that's my multi hyphenate journey I know it's long winded but. <laughs> You know, no, I love it. I love it because you're, you're defining it. You're giving us like every aspect of it. Um, Do you, and so you identify as a multi-hyphenate? I've been thinking about it since I listened to, to your episode. And What have you been thinking about? If, if I am or not a multi-hyphenate, because I, everything I'm doing right now, I do think it's focused on getting me to a place where I want to be. But And what do you do? What are your proficiencies? Uh, right now, well, I'm, I'm a performer. Uh, I'm an yeah. assistant director. Great. And I am working on social media. I'm working as a social media manager. And they all, I'm, I'm focusing everything on uh, musical theater and film. I think that you're a multi-hyphenate, babe. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, you. you know, it's three different things that sort of connect your theater experience. Mm -hmm. And you'll figure out how even more that your social media affects your performance and your directing. I mean, do you want to stay an assistant director or you want to direct projects? That's something I, I still have to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you don't, that's the thing. It's like being a multi-hyphenate, like it ebbs and flows, right? Mm -hmm. Like it never is, it's never definitive. Yeah. Just like, you know, a why statement or a branding statement, they change, they change and they can change every day. You know, since COVID has affected mine, I'm now an artist who survived COVID by relying on their proficiencies to create artistry. It used to be I produce non-quotidian artistry that benefits the world around me, but now I put COVID into it because I survived a pandemic yeah. by relying on my non-quotidian artistry. So not only did it not only did it garner an income, but it also saved my life. So and the stakes could not be higher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We've talked about you as a performer. We've talked a little bit about you as a producer. And I know that we will dive in into uh, Michael, the photographer, Michael, the podcaster, Michael, the writer. But let's start by the producing stuff. Um, I know you're one of the co-founders of Musical Theater Factory. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm a co... Um... I'm a founding member. I'm not like a co... Uh, Shakina Nafak is the artistic director and there weren't any like co... I think if she were sitting here right now with me, she'd be like, yeah, you were. Of course you were. But that's not my... You know, that's not what I call it just because like I didn't sign a contract. There was no contract signed. It was... You know, I say it because my name is on a plaque and like when my name was on that plaque, I literally, I started to cry because I was like, oh my God, I've always wanted to be a part of something big. And you know, my name is next to Joey Connors and Rebecca Naomi Jones and Jen Tepper and all these incredible people. And, you know, I was there and, you know, the first day I was out to dinner with Shakina at Barrington stage when I was in the out of town triad of the on the town revival. And, um, we were out to dinner and she was like, yeah, when I moved to the city, like, cause she was living at Barrington in Barrington cause she was the, um, artistic the producing, producing, the producing director of the second stage of Barrington stage. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to move back to the city soon. And when I'm there, I'm, I'm going to start a new theater. And we, that was the first season of MTF. And I literally was like, well, email me when you're ready. And then she did. And I was helping, you know, paint, turn that 
gay porn studio into a theater. <laughs> and right now, what what is going on with MTF? Yeah, I don't, I mean, like, look, um, they're doing virtual program, I think, but I actually stepped down uh, from my position. I was um, membership coordinator and resident photographer there. And I stepped down about two years ago. I fully support them, you know, see their stuff. They, they awarded me uh, an award at their gala, their five-year gala, which was incredibly sweet and kind. And um, I'm honored. It was very emotional. And, um, you know, I, I, so I don't, I'm not a part of the decision-making, but they're, do, they're doing okay. And if anyone's listening and wants to donate to a nonprofit theater, go to mtf.nyc. <laughs> but you've also, you've been producing recently things for film. Yeah. So it's been interesting, right? Because like, there's like a new little sub subset of what film is and in, with the difference between film and theater and stage in this era, this time of COVID. And it's interesting because like, you know, I'm the executive producer of indoor boys and we got an Emmy nomination and it's very exciting. And the executive producer of that, and that was, that was a web series that was film. You know what I mean? That was TV. But then in this, you know, in this environment of still producing socially distant theater and getting it out there and streaming it and filming it, then there's this sort of different thing. It's now like, you know, working with green screens and the audience forgives like a lower quality, you know, because everyone's trying to figure out equipment and, and it's about getting the story across and you know what I'm saying? But so, you know, I've done a few things, like I've done a few music videos and I've done some cool projects with the skivvies and um, I'm in the middle of editing another project with the Skivvies right now, and um, it's the importance of being earnest, and we filmed it two days ago, and that's going to be streaming with Laguna Playhouse online. So if anyone wants to see the Skivvies do with Nathan Lee Graham as Lady Bracknell, do the importance of being earnest, uh, set to like a Foley artist, like a radio play, it's very cool. Um check that out but yeah and then you know in may i'm filming the pink unicorn which is uh starring alice ripley written by um elise foyer Edie, and it's incredible it's an incredible play and it ran off broadway for a few runs it had some like critically acclaimed runs and backed by popular demand and then they did another workshop of it and the, from the moment i saw it i said that needs to be a film that needs to be a, an indie film and you know we're finally doing it but it takes time like and this is an easy project to do because it's one person yeah there, it's not a, it's not a cast of people it's one person so it's easier to do like i was working on a web series that wound up being tabled for a second in the middle of the pandemic where it was a cast of like 20 people. And I kept being like, this is this, Too there's big. a chance that this is big. Like we have to, you know, and so there's a reason why it was tabled, but you know, it was, um, with these projects, like look at RuPaul. I don't know if you watched, uh, are you watching this season of drag race? Not at the moment, but I will. <laughs> yeah. So there's an episode last night that was like, that was like behind the scenes of how they're doing the season during quarantine. And it is really intense. I mean, the camera people are like in 
plexiglass and it moves like it's very intense so if you want to do it the right way if you want to do it the safe way producing things in the pandemic are very it's expensive and also figuring out what is equity mm-hmm. what is sag after like figuring out that you i mean like it took us a second to figure out how we're going to produce the pink unicorn we had to postpone because we were waiting to find out if SAG was going to approve this or SAG after was going to approve this or equity was going to approve this. So there's so many different things that go into producing something. You can't just pick it, pick up and go. No. And, and right start... now there, there are a lot of guidelines that are new to a yeah, lot of us. Exactly. Like COVID exactly. Guidelines for safety and safety protocols all over the place. And yeah, I know that producing right now, it's like a really, I, I, I want to now move on to, You as a photographer, yeah. because I mean, I think you're one of those people that know every single celebrity and performer that has been on a Broadway stage. I mean, you know, you've at least you've taken a, a, a photograph of everyone in the industry, like literally everyone backstage, on stage, uh, on your studio, even if it's a headshot or whatever. Uh, I mean, you've You've been your your pictures have been shown in a lot of places in the Tony Awards and Playbills and other magazines. I mean, it, it's big. Oh my god, you're so cute. That's very <laughs> sweet. That's very funny. Um, I did not know photography was going to happen. I'd always loved photography. I've always actually loved headshots, mm-hmm. and I love doing headshots. I've always loved headshots. I remember the show that I was mentioning before, a stoop on Orchard Street, that I was doing. When I was a kid, when I was 13, I used to ask everyone to give me their headshots and I'd collect them and I would sit them down and go, you need a new headshot. And I was 13 years old and these are adults because <laughs> I just loved them. I loved them for some reason. I loved headshots and I loved resumes. I loved collecting them. And that always like it just became a thing where friends throughout you know college would go michael what do you think of this headshot and i'd be like i like this blah blah blah, blah. and then i start, and then i got a camera for hanukkah and i started taking pictures of my friends and everyone was like you're good at this you should do this and i was like eh, okay it'll be my survival job when i move to the city you know and then of like not only am i selling myself as an actor now i'm establishing myself as a photographer so it's double the work and then i started realizing i was like oh this is a way into the industry, okay, that'll move much quicker than as an actor. Maybe I could start combining the two. What is a multi-hyphenate? <laughs> wow! You know, that's sort of the journey. One thing But, led to another. Exactly, exactly. But the photography was sort of, I found myself in really, really interesting places. Places that were, uh, I didn't think would be cool. But I was like, you know what? I'll just show up. I'll do it. It's fine. And whatever happens, happens. And then it wound up being a really uh, artistic and fulfilling experience. And then they're the ones that you know are going to be incredible from the moment you get the call. And they're so spiritual and metaphysical. Like when I photographed Julie Andrews, you know, I have a Mary Poppins tattoo. Mary Poppins is the reason why I'm in the industry. You know, my grandma, my grandma taught me stage right from stage left in front of the movie when I was like three years old. And I felt her with me when I was photographing Julie, because I know, I knew she had to be there with me and I felt her. And so there are really, uh, 
spiritual experiences when photographing, especially because you're, I do, I do love photographing performances. It's not, it's not my main thing. You know, Joan Marcus, Matt Murphy, they do production photography and they're incredible. But sometimes I do get to photograph some really cool performances like Adina's Christmas concert at Carnegie Hall. And But ultimately what I've learned from photographing performances is that it is acting. The photographer does have to act with the, with the person on stage because it's about breath. I know as an actor, dramatic structure of a piece. I know how a song is written. I know how a song is performed. I know how a play is written. And I know an actor's impulse because I am one. So I, when I'm behind the camera, I pretend that I'm in the show with them. And that's how I get good photos because I'm anticipating the moment that's going to happen next. And because uh, I could see it, I could see it, I could hear it, I could feel it. And, but then I bring that in the studio. The way that I shoot in the studio is just like we're in a rehearsal room. That is awesome. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really nice way to put yourself as a photographer inside that universe. And it's, yeah. it, it's very useful. I know you have a project called the Dressing Room Project, or you yeah. had it. Um, no, I have it. It's so sad. It's like, huh, I actually got to do it a few times during quarantine because there were some, you know, like, you know, uh, concerts that were filmed or there was this, you know, there's an interactive off-Broadway show called Voy Voyeur that I was asked to photograph backstage for as they prepared. And so there have been some glimmers of hope And, but it makes it sadder to me because I'm like, I want to do it again. Or like, I want to, you know, I want it to be, I don't, I don't want to take pictures of you in your mask. Like I want to photograph you walking on a Broadway stage, but it has been, it has been amazing to document this period of time, certainly. Um, but, uh, I do have plans for when Broadway comes back. I do have plans for what I want to do and how I want to do it. But the dressing room project is still very much a thing it's just uh on hiatus just like broadway is good and, and and i love that you're planning a lot of things when when the industry is back on track fully back on track yeah um, i think that's helping me survive because i can I, i can go what can i do now what did i do in the past what can i do now and what can i do when broadway's back how can i take what i learned and infiltrate myself in this new way Because we're all learning stuff. We're all going to learn stuff. And then also, we have to anticipate how Broadway is going to, how it's going to move and exist and function after the pandemic because these online experiences are not going anywhere. So we have to figure out how that's, how now that's going to merge. Yeah. How, how everything is like going to transpolate and, and as right. you said, merge uh, with this new virtual reality we're living right. in. Right. I've been dying to ask you this question now that you said that you loved headshots. What are yeah. your three or four tips for the perfect headshot? Yeah. Preparation is a huge one because I think a lot of actors expect the headshot photographer to have all of the answers in the moment. And it starts with months and years of preparation. When coming to a headshot session, You have to know who you are and what you're selling. It's as simple as that. And the headshot photographer is not responsible for those answers. The headshot photographer is responsible for getting it, for translating it in the picture. The headshot photographer is not with you in auditions. I'm not with you in auditions. So you have to paint the picture as clear as a bell. You have to paint the picture and go, this is what I want. This is the vibe. 
these are actors that I love. I want that vibe. These are words I use. This is what's in my book. And then when you're in the studio, drop it. Let it go. You did the work. Now it's time to have fun. Now when I need it, you access it. You give it to me. I see a lot of actors come in that have not done the work and are scrambling to figure it out in the studio. Actors that have done all of the work but can't let it go. And then they're panicking because they can't relax. And then I've seen actors that have done the work and let it go, and that's magical. <laughs> now that you say, say this, I remember my first photo shoot. I was panicked. I mean, yeah. My first photo shoot was like three or four years ago. My, my photographer asked me exactly those questions. Like, what is the character you want to portray in your headshot? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, 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 why, why didn't you say this to me before? <laughs> so I could at right. least get prepared. Um, so I love I love those tips. Um, I love that. Yeah, I remember I was really panicked about that. <laughs> Earlier, you, you told us that he had two podcasts at the moment, right? You have Dear Multi-Hyphenate and My Broadway Memory. Yeah. Where are those going right now? Yeah, Dear Multi-Hyphenate is doing really well, knock on wood. Like, I started it in 2020 and had really great downloads. And in it's, you know, almost March, and I already have more than half of the downloads that I got in 2020. That's and I think awesome. it's be and I think it's because just podcasts take time to sort of land. And also, I think the the statistic is seventeen, might be seven, seven thousand new podcasts are created every day, and that's a lot. And people are tired of listening. People are tired of watching. People just you know. So it, it took some time. So you know. Dear Multi-Hyphenate is very specific, and I think it's really po it's popular right now because there are a lot of people that need answers, that need answers, that don't, you know, it sort of offers some sort of levity and some sort of, um, you know, some solace a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that's good. My Broadway Memory, on the flip side, it's a great show. My boyfriend and I host it together. Now, it, it was co-created by Brian Sedita and I. Uh, he was the first host with me and then um, went on to do something else, and my boyfriend took over. And so, you know, we were like, great, we can do all this stuff. It's going to be amazing, yada, 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 yada. The viewership, it's been insanely low, and it's like there are so many different factors that go into it, right? There's an oversaturation of content, our time, You know, we do it at, um, at 7 p.m. on Thursday, and that's, you know, school is back in session, you know, work is back, and, you know, that's when families, you know, so we're actually, we're shifting uh, the show, and it's going to have a new structure and a new schedule, and we're hoping that that is going to boost it boost so we're looking forward to it we think it's going to be better for us and for the show and for broadway podcast network as well because i've, I've enjoyed it i honestly thank you i mean i i one of the reasons i that inspired me to create my podcast was brian and mary's podcast was page to stage um, yeah that's great and i love them and yeah, yeah I, i remember when when it came out i i really enjoyed it yeah they're what awesome I, it's a great podcast yeah One of my last questions for you is, where are you, this extremely talented multi-hyphenate, going next? What is next to conquer for you? To the living room? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, 
I, uh, uh, I have a lot, I have a lot of work to do today. Today's an editing day. So literally physically I'm going to the living room where my desk is so I can enjoy the rain and have some tea and, um, get work done and just, you know, be with my dog and my boyfriend as he watches TV. Like, it's just, I like to work when, uh, in the living room because I don't want to be like kept away all day. Like I just, I want to, you know, be out when things are happening. And tonight I'm going on a paranormal investigation at a mansion around the corner from my apartment. Um, it's socially distant and safe and all that good stuff, but, uh, I'm very excited, but in the industry, I'm going to ride this wave. I'm going to ride this wave. I like to think in the, you know, knock on wood, of course, I like to think in the future and think about where I'm going to be in a month, in a year, in five years and dream and hope. But I'm very fortunate in a lot of different ways. I'm very privileged in a lot of different ways. And I'm trying to really shift that privilege and, and give back to people that aren't privileged and incorporate them in my work and, you know, provide opportunities and live by what I'm fighting for. So, you know, I'm actually, might as well say it here, I'm going to start something called the Good Work Initiative with Michael Kushner Photography. And basically once a month, I'm going to do a free photo shoot for someone in the industry that is doing good work for others. And it's going to be a nomination-based thing. So if you have a friend that you want to nominate for a free photo shoot, you know, to help them boost their persona, then you can email me and write me about this person and I'll consider it. And once a month, I'm going to choose someone to come to my studio and, and shoot. That is beautiful. Yeah. But I'm just going to ride the wave. Just continue to look for things that need my voice attached to it and need my uh, skills and proficiencies and, you know, there are things I need to work on myself, like saying, no, I need to actually pare down just a little bit because I get really excited to work and I'm so blessed to work and grateful. So, um, I need to be able to go. I'm so, I love this idea. It's not the right time. You know what I mean? Or I've, I've been doing better. I'm also, you know, closing my computer at 5 PM and very saying, okay, <laughs> very much needed and not staying up till 2 AM doing computer work. Like, that was, you know, last year. Yeah. It's not this year. You know what I mean? So there's, so that's where, you know, I'd like to be continuing a journey with myself while still delivering positively my art. That is amazing, Michael. Thank you so much. Um, I've loved this conversation, like truly. Uh, I love you, chatting with you. <laughs> um, I have one last question, but yeah, I've, 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 I have to redo it. Because normally I would ask you your top five favorite musical theater shows, but I want to mix it with you, with performers, since you know a lot of them. So top whatever the ones you choose, musical theater shows and favorite performers, go. <laughs> how many you want? How many did you want? Uh, you, you can put the number. Okay. Um, number one is Les Mis. Number two is, oh, number, okay, I'll do five shows, five performers. Go. No, number one is Les Mis. Number two is Mary Poppins. Number three is Wicked. Number four is Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Number five is Gypsy. Great. Awesome. Uh, Wicked is a real guilty pleasure, you know? <laughs> so I have to, I, and I know it front to back, every word. Um, okay, I'm going to do top ten. Um, <laughs> number five is Gypsy. Number six is The Drowsy Chaperone. Number seven is Cabaret. Number eight is Floyd Collins. Number nine is 
Um, number nine. Oh, number nine is Scarlet Pimpernel. Number ten is Jekyll and Hyde. Awesome! Oh, classics. Yeah. Nice. And um, and so okay, performers. Number one, Julie Andrews. Obviously. <laughs> number two, Patti Lapone. Number three, Idina Menzel. Number four, Jonathan Freeman. Yes. Number five, Madeline Kahn. Number six, Carol Channing. Number seven, Nell Carter. Um, number eight. Ethel Merman, number nine, Sophie Thompson, and number ten. Number ten. I, I see you looking at a wall. I know, I know that I know. you must have every headshot you've taken on that wall. I have a lot of photos. <laughs> I'd say number ten is Alice Ripley. Obviously. Yeah. Her work yeah. is amazing. Yeah, she's amazing. She's amazing. Michael, thank you so much. I've en- really enjoyed this. Um, where can people get a hold of you? Yeah, oh my gosh. So, following me on Instagram and TikTok at the Michael Kushner would be very helpful. And then there's also, um, you know, my other Instagrams like at Dear Multi Hyphenate, which is my podcast, at The Dressing Room Project for backstage photos, and at My Broadway Memory for My Broadway Memory. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. And to book a photo shoot with you. Yeah, you can go to michaelkushnerphotography.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Michael. And Thanks, Martin. Hope to talk to you soon. You're amazing. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of Backstage Talk. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Backstage Talk Podcast. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.